Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Well, today we're continuing our series called God Privilege, and how many of you walked away with a fresh revelation from last week? Yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff. This is one of those series that builds upon week after week. So if you miss one of these, be sure to go listen to it online. We always have it on there on Tuesday. So if you're looking for it, we post on YouTube then. But before we get into today's message, go ahead and turn to somebody next to you and tell them why you appreciate them. You're going to have to think for a minute. Tell them why you appreciate them. Amy, turn around there and talk to Jason because he's, he's alone too. If you're joining us online, I want to say thanks for being with us. It's great to hear the Word of God over the internet, but if you ever have the chance to be with us here in person, we would love to have you here. Come be with us. Was that a hard, was that a hard task? Did you all handle it all right? All right. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Cade. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And at No Limits, we're here to help you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. So this series is all about God privilege. And what that means is I'm showing you guys how to live in the promises of God. Is there anybody that does not want to live in the promises of God? <laughs> Let me ask that. You see, the promises of God are vast, right? They're huge. They're endless. If Donald Trump were given this message, you'd say, they're huge, right? Did I do that right? No, he does it a lot better than me. Huge. Would he have to have his finger like this? Is that the, what I'm missing? <clears throat> but in, in this series, we're going to talk about three of those, and it's wealth, health, and protection is what we're focusing on. So we started last week with wealth, and this is going to take several weeks because if there's any one subject that the church fights about the most, it's going to be money. Money, money, money. Most of the time when pastors talk about money, all they talk about is generosity. And that's important to talk about because God's financial system doesn't work without generosity. It is a key ingredient. But I'm going to talk about more than generosity. I'm teaching you how to see money from God's perspective. This is not only going to cause you to prosper, but it's going to set you free from the things that have been holding you back from what God has called you to do. Because how many of you guys have realized that it takes provision it takes resources to do what God has called you to do. Has anybody ever felt God call you to something and you're like, well, I don't have the money to do that? Yeah, we need those resources. So God wants you to prosper. And I'm going to prove it to you in scripture. But first, let me give you my definition of godly prosperity. And it's more than enough for my family, plus an overflow to accomplish everything God asks me to do. Let me show it to you in scripture. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So not only do you have sufficiency in the necessities of life, but you have an abundance on top of that for every good work. That's good stuff. So you have way more than you need to take care of yourself so that you have the extra needed to take care of others. So that's how you know if you're living in the promises of God. Does this scripture describe your life? Because if it doesn't, you should listen up throughout this series and make the necessary changes because this is God's promise. This will happen in your life if you take the right steps. God wants you to prosper. I heard a story the other day, and it was a true story, and it was about a man who went to meet with his Jewish accountant. And after discussing his taxes, he said, I assume you serve both Christian and Jewish clients, right? And the accountant said, yes, of course. 
And the man continued, tell me honestly, who is more prosperous? Who has the larger financial statements? Is it Jewish people or Christians? And the accountant kind of chuckled and he said, my Jewish clients are much more prosperous. They tend to have about 10 times more wealth than Christians do. And just like any of us in the room would ask this question next, he said, being Jewish yourself, why do you think this is? Tell me why. And the accountant picked up the Bible and he said, Christians tend to live out of the back of the book, the New Testament. Jews tend to live out of the front of the book, the Old Testament. So Christians tend to discount the principles in the Old Testament, yet that's where you find the wisdom that you need to prosper. Hmm. So in other words, Christians are only looking for New Testament miracles in their finances, whereas Jews are living by the wisdom of the Old Covenant in their finances. Imagine if the two were brought together. Hmm. We don't have to have one or the other. We can operate in the wisdom of the Old Covenant and believe for miracles in the New Covenant. So being a Christian, I'm sure you've heard a lot about God's financial miracles, where you sow seed and you expect to return. I'm sure you've heard messages like that. And all of this is accurate. But you need wisdom combined with your faith to live in godly prosperity. you got to combine the two together. Prosperity has been God's idea since the very beginning. This isn't something new. He wants you to have more than enough for your family, plus an overflow for everything that he asks you to do. So say this with me. God wants me to prosper. He really does. He really does. And I understand that you may not believe this yet, and that's why I'm going to keep saying it. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to prosper, Talon. He wants everybody to prosper. God wants you to have more than enough. Satan does not want you to prosper. Right, so he sets up situations to make you look like you're not. Everything in your life that has caused you to believe that God wants you to be poor was the work of the devil. He's been stealing from you. Last week, I explained to you how one of the ways that he does this is through culture. Because, you know, culture is Satan's favorite weapon, right? He likes to use culture. So in school, kids are indoctrinated to believe that business and profit are bad. Then we watch movie after movie after TV show that portrays the business CEO as a jerk who takes advantage of all of his employees and earns his fortune in illegal activity. Our government fusses at those who build a profitable business, and then they try to steal it from them through bogus regulations and taxes and rules and blah, 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 blah. Employees get together and they fuss about their business owner who's driving a nice car and lives in a nice house, and they say, he doesn't even work. He's never even here in the office, right? (laughs) Satan has done a good job making us hate business and hate profit, but the reality is wealth primarily comes to those who do a tremendous job serving others. Wealth primarily comes to those who do a tremendous job serving others. Sure, some people get rich by lying and cheating. They do, and taking advantage of others. But it's more rare than you think. We think it's so common because that's what we see on TV and in the movies. It must be so common, but it's actually really rare because you know what? When you get wealth that way, it catches up to you. Something comes and takes it away. It doesn't last. This past Thursday, Beth and I went to tour the Phillips 66 Museum in Bartlesville. Had anybody ever done that before? Yeah, it's really cool. And it was inspiring to learn how the brothers, Frank and L.E. Phillips, built that massive business. And really, they're responsible for building an entire city, Bartlesville. That's so cool. And guess what I found out? They did not become wealthy by taking advantage of others. They became wealthy by contributing greatly to society. 
That's how they became wealthy. Way back in the early 1900s, they risked everything to find oil so they could provide that for your car. Anybody thankful? Yeah. Then they produced natural gas to heat your house and cook your food. Anybody thankful? They could have stopped there, but they didn't. They worked hard to learn how to produce jet fuel to power World War II aircraft. Aren't you thankful? Because without them, we probably would have not won that war, right? They didn't even stop there. They continued to innovate, and they are responsible for creating many of the plastics that we use today. This is so awesome. Think of the value that those Phillips brothers added to society, and they're gone. They passed away, and they're still adding value. And what was their reward? Great wealth. Jewish people understand this, and that's why they're 10 times more wealthy than Christians. Here's how Rabbi Daniel Lappin explains it. Deep within traditional Jewish culture lies the conviction that the only real way to achieve wealth is to attend diligently to the needs of others. In other words, the amount of money you earn is in relation to the amount of value that you add to those around you. So let me give you a tip. I gave you this last week, but I want to make sure that you heard it. If you want to increase your income, it starts at home. You have to invest your own time and your own money into making yourself more valuable to the business that you work for. Fun, isn't it? Oh man, Kate's giving me things that I have to do. You see, in my early 20s, I managed to work up the courage to apply for a job that I was not qualified for. I went to the interview and I was trembling and I walked away from that interview 100% sure I did not get the job. Anybody had an interview like that? You're like, that did not go well. So I got a call from the recruiter a few days later. I picked up the phone ready to hear the bad news. And, and she said, Cade, they want to hire you. Are you up, still up for it? After a long pause, I was like, uh, uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So that day I became the business manager for a Baptist church in Tulsa and was now responsible for managing a budget of over a million dollars. Clearly, the only reason I was hired that day is because of some supernatural favor of God that was with me in the room the day I was interviewed. Because trust me, I was not impressive. Not at all. Not impressive at all. I had no accounting degree. I had no formal education in business. And the person I was replacing had both. They had both of those things. Thankfully, she was able to stick around for a few weeks and train me. But man, was I intimidated by her credentials. Wow. I became very confused, though, during my training when I learned that I was more skilled in accounting than she was. I figured I must be wrong, though. I'm like, she has the, I've got to be wrong. I mean, she has the credentials. And I was trying to figure out how, how did I go so wrong, right? What I did have, though, was the school of hard knocks. I did. I had invested years into studying accounting principles and applying them to here at our small church and in my small business. I wasn't getting paid to do these things. I just have a passion for doing things right. And so I became the master of using Google to figure these things out. But she had a formal education, so I was convinced that she must know more than me. But what I found out is that knowledge is only valuable when you put action to it and you learn how to use it. She went to school, but she didn't put the effort in to put her knowledge to the test, right? You got to practice it. She heard the right things, but she never practiced them. So she kind of found herself in a mess. Y'all, she didn't even have things filed correctly. Like we spent most of my training time searching for documents that should have been really easy 
to find. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Why is it like this? I'm not saying she's a bad person. Don't get me wrong. But what I do want you to hear is that getting a college degree does not automatically make you more valuable to society. We've become a culture that worships the almighty college degree. Oh, the college degree. And Satan has used this idol, which is what it is, to lead us the wrong way and to trip us up. So now, get this, most colleges are more concerned with indoctrinating its students with woke ideologies than they are making them more valuable to society. It's a shame. It's very sad. And for the record, I'm not a hater of higher education. Most people are like, oh, Kate hates college. No, I don't hate it. But what I do hate is that we've made it an idol. Because anytime you make something an idol, you've given it to Satan. And he messes the whole thing up. You see, most parents think it's more important now to send their kid to college than it is to train them to follow God's plan for their life, whether that includes college or not. College isn't a bad thing. But following God is much better than just going to college because we worship this almighty degree. Sorry, that was a bit of a rabbit trail, but you need to know. All right, so it took me several months to correct, to find and correct all these accounting mistakes that my predecessor had made, and then I had to redo the entire filing system. So my first few months working there was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And then I would go home and I'd research my brains out just to make sure I was doing everything correctly, because I still had that, that thing in my mind. I'm like, she had the degree. Like, surely I'm doing something wrong. I was trying to figure out what I was doing wrong. And after all this, I'd still discredited my skills because I didn't have a formal education. And at some point, they were going to realize this and they were going to fire me. I knew it. That's what was going through my head. They were going to find out, even though they already knew, because I didn't lie on my application or anything. They already knew this stuff. And then it came time for my annual review, my first year there. And I figured that would be the day. That would be the day. They're going to tell me everything I was doing wrong and they were going to let me go. So there I sat across from my boss, and I was just nervous as all get out. And he said, Kate, you do an incredible job here. We're so thankful for you. Is there anything we can do for you? <laughs> that was it. No reprimand. No, they, they weren't disappointed. They were thankful. Actually, they were so thankful, they gave me a $9 an hour raise that day. I didn't even think I deserved a raise. I wasn't expecting anything. They're like, we're going to give you nine more dollars an hour. I'm like, what? Oh, great. That's awesome. But I learned a valuable lesson that day. The amount of money you earn is in relation to the amount of value you add to those around you. I didn't show up to that job to extract something out of them. I didn't. I showed up to serve, to help them accomplish their goals. That's why I was there. And not only that, but I invested my own time at home just to make sure that I was fully equipped to do my job well and to serve them well. Three years later, the Lord told me it was time to leave this job so that I could focus on some other things. You would have thought I killed their dog whenever I put in my notice. They were so disappointed. They were willing to do anything to get me to stay. They were like, can we, can we pay you more? Can we give you a more flexible schedule? Like, what can we do to keep you here? I was like, I'm sorry, guys. The Lord told me I've got to move on, so I've got to move on. But I'll do whatever I can to help the next person succeed in this job. The amount of money you earn is in relation to the amount of value you add to those around you. This is part of that wisdom I was telling you about earlier. If you don't understand this, you show up to your job and you do the bare minimum. And while you're there, you gripe to your fellow employees about your job. You go home and you gripe about your job to your family, how much you hate it. And then you go to God in prayer and you say, God, I've been believing you for prosperity for years. 
and I'm still struggling. God tries to give you a response, but you don't listen because the only thing you know how to do in prayer is talk. So you talk and then you leave, right? God's like, wait, 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 I was going to tell you something. And here's what he would have told you. Well, you're sabotaging your own prosperity. I'm trying to get it to you, but I can't get it to you because you're too gripey. Hmm. When it comes to believing God for provision, we want God to do all the work. We think we should be able to ask him for it, and it's going to show up in our mailbox. Woo! Anybody? Yeah. But let me remind you of something. In James 2.17, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. You've probably heard this in the New King James Version, which says that faith without works is dead. If you think you can believe God for something and then sit on your fanny while he does it for you, you've deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself. You have to put action to your faith. When you believe, when you believe for something, you do things that show that you believe. I mean, this starts at the very beginning with your walk with Christ. Your faith in Christ is what saves you. But then since you believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus. Beth and I were having a good discussion about this this morning, actually. It's like we get, Beth, this is your credit to you. It says we get our works in the wrong place. We want to put our works before our faith, but our works comes after our faith. Get your works in the right place. Otherwise, you're trying to work to earn something from God, but we don't work to earn things for God. We work because we've been saved. We do good deeds because we've been saved. We go out and kick butt at our job because we're believing God has already taken care of it, right? He's going to prosper us. He's going to bless us. Man, this is good stuff. So when you believe for prosperity, you act like it, right? You act like it. You show up to work as if you're working for God himself because you're believing him. You're believing him. So let me ask you, do you have some adjustments that you need to make towards your attitude at work? I won't make you raise your hand. Just asking you a question. Because the amount of money you earn is in relation to the amount of value you add to those around you. We tend to believe that the only ones who can prosper are business owners. Like if you're an employee, you're just out of luck. There's some truth to that. And the reason there's truth to it is because most employees believe they're just employees. But if you can change your perspective, things are going to change. Instead of seeing your employer as your boss, you should see your employer as your customer. See, the first one, just seeing him as your boss, positions you as a wage slave. You're a slave to your wage. But the second puts you in business. You have your own business. You, incorporated. It's you. And you're offering your services to your employer, or should I say, your customer, right? So let me help you understand this with the story. There were two friends who met up again 20 years after they both began working for the railroad. So one was out working on the roadbed and was astounded whenever his friend showed up in his own private rail car. And as this new successful friend stepped out of the rail car, he, he explained, 20 years ago, you went to work for three seventy-five an hour. I went to work for the railroad. So in other words, the first friend saw himself as a wage slave, only cared about his salary. That's the only reason he was there. The other saw himself as being in business for himself, which allowed him to focus on his customer, the railroad. Isn't that good? 
Think of how an owner of a shoe store eagerly greets every customer walking in the door. Wow, so glad you're here. Can I help you try on those shoes? What can I get for you? What size do you need? Do we have everything you need? That's how the owner acts, right? Compare that to the employee who resents their boss. Your boss walks in the door and you get aggravated when they ask you to do something. How do you think that would work for the shoe store owner? You get aggravated that you're even walking. Why are you in here to buy shoes? So the difference is the shoe store owner thinks of herself as being in business. Her customers are not her employers. They're her customers. This shift in your mindset changes everything. So even as an employee, you are in business. You're in business and your employer is one of your customers. You should be excited to serve them when they walk in the door. This new mindset sets you free, also sets you free from staying at a job too long, right? Because sometimes customers are not, not the right fit for your business. My dad could come up and tell you all kinds of stories about that. Sometimes customers aren't the right fit. And that's okay because there's more customers who need your services. There's more employers who need your services. So since you're no longer a wage slave, you simply say goodbye to your current boss, your customer, and you go and you find some new customers. A lot less stressful. Is this helping anybody? I hope so. So some of you have been dismissing the things I've been teaching over the past couple of weeks because you don't own a business. You're like, whew, I don't own a business. I'm out of this. So you think it doesn't apply. But now you know we're all in business. And to be successful in business, we must work hard to make ourselves more valuable to those around us. It all boils down to this, y'all. Either you believe that others are worth being served or you don't. If you do, then there's no problem cleaning the restroom. I mean, it's not a problem to get on your knees and help a customer put on their shoes. You're there to serve them. It's no problem to do what your boss asks you to do. You're there to serve. And if you don't think much of others, then you're never going to be successful. If you don't think people are worth serving, you're never going to be successful. And you're going to find some other shortcomings in your life as well. This is something we learned from Jesus. I've been telling a lot of stories today. You're like, are we going to tie this into Scripture? Oh, man, are we going to tie this into Scripture? Mm. You see, he taught us that the least is the greatest, and the last shall be first. In other words, when we commit ourselves to serving others, we're not, dimin- we're not diminishing ourselves as some lower-class citizen or something like that. No, we're elevated by God when we put others before ourselves. And all of this reminds me of one of the greatest tensions among Christians right now. We're in a season right now where evil has to be confronted. It just has to be. And a lot of people don't like it. Because they like the cruise ship of Christianity. Hey, it was good those days. I remember that. It was good stuff. And actually, very few pastors are willing to confront the evil of abortion and homosexuality and the fabricated racism and mandated vaccines and fraudulent elections, and the list goes on. It goes on and on and on. Many, most pastors won't even go there. They're still giving you a cruise ship messages, even though we're not on the cruise ship anymore. You see, we've become conditioned to think that exposing these things somehow violates Jesus' commandment to love each other. Hmm. But here's, here's what we do agree on. Jesus commanded us to love each other. We all agree, right? Yes, that's good. But what we don't agree on is what love actually looks like. We agree we're supposed to love. We don't agree on what love looks like. Most have come to believe that love is synonymous with acceptance. To truly love people, we got to accept anything they want to do or anything they want to be, even if it's another gender, right? But the love Jesus was talking about has nothing to do with acceptance. Let me show it to you. 
Here's where Jesus gave that commandment. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. How are we supposed to love each other? As Jesus loved the disciples, because he's talking to the disciples right here. So to find out what love is supposed to look like, we must examine how Jesus loved the disciples. How did Jesus love the disciples? I don't recall Jesus being politically correct. I don't recall that. I mean, he said some pretty harsh things. He even called one of his disciples Satan once. That's not very nice. I don't recall Jesus making allowance for sin either. I don't recall that anywhere. If you, if you know where it's at, come show me because I've never found it. Instead, he would deliver them with God's power and with God's truth. And then he would tell them, go and sin no more. Don't do that anymore. It hurts you. It's hard on you. So when Jesus tells us to love each other, what's he talking about? Well, during his last meal with the disciples before the crucifixion, Jesus did something very strange. He got up from the table, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he filled a water basin with water. And I can just imagine the 12 disciples, you know, sitting around the table like, what is Jesus doing? Rabbi, what's going on here? And then he sat down and he he began to wash their feet. What if I did that to you? Kate, what are you doing? So he's washing the feet, and then he got to Peter, and Peter shouted, You ain't washing my feet. You ain't doing it. I know. This is awkward. You ain't washing my feet. And Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Peter's like, Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead and wash my feet. So he washed the dirty feet of all 12 disciples. Imagine what the water looked like after that. I hope I wasn't the last one in the group. (laughs) Jesus sat back down at the table and he explained what just happened. Take a look. After washing their feet, he put his robe again on again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. That scripture we just read a bit ago, the one new commandment I give you that you love each other, would you be just surprised to know that that scripture comes right after this story of washing the disciples' feet? Same chapter. Same flow of scripture. So when he said to love each other as he had loved the disciples, he was talking about this example of washing the disciples' feet. In other words, love is not acceptance. Love is serving others. And get this, Jesus even washed Judas's feet, the guy who would later betray him by turning him in to be crucified. So, love is serving others even when they don't deserve it. Some of you thought you could get out of this because your boss is a jerk who doesn't deserve it. Well, you're out of luck. You ain't got any excuses now. You don't got any excuses. So to tie this all together with everything we've been talking about today, let's keep reading what Jesus said to the disciples about foot washing. He said, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will do what? Bless you for what? Doing them. Who's going to bless you for serving others well? God, not your customers, not your boss, but God himself. God will bless you for serving others well. So I've now shown you this from many different angles, but this is by far the most powerful, isn't it? 
the amount of money you earn is in relation to the amount of value that you add to those around you. In other words, the amount of money you earn is determined by how well you serve others. The sooner you learn to find joy and fulfillment in serving others, the sooner you'll find yourself living in godly prosperity. Mm. But let me give you a hint. Don't serve people to get something in return. Everyone, including God, will be able to smell your ulterior motive. And it won't work. All right? Instead, serve others well because Jesus commanded you to. That's simple. Help your customer put on their shoes. Clean the restroom as if God himself were coming in to use the restroom next, right? Go beyond what your boss asks you to do and work hard to make the business successful. But Kate, it's not my business. It doesn't matter. You're there to serve. You're there to serve. Not because you're looking for anything in return, but because you're there to serve. And you know, when you commit yourself to serving others, you know what's going to happen. God is going to bless you. So, I hate to put Gina on the spot. And she tilts her head. She is one of the best examples I know of the message that I preached today. I've watched her work hard to serve others well. She's worked her job without expecting anything in return. And she's had some amazing things happen over the past couple of months. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to come up and just share a little bit of that journey. I know you don't like to get up here and share in front of people, but this is, this is going to help people. It's going to encourage people. Everybody give Gina a hand. <laughs> and I mean it. This is the perfect example of the servant attitude. Okay, young. <laughs> Are you wanting me to go through the last few months with my job? Okay. <sighs> All right. <laughs> so I work with Ascension, and many of you might have heard about the vaccine mandate that Ascension has been put upon their employees. However, just a couple of months ago, three months ago now perhaps, I was given an opportunity to go into a partnership position with Ascension. So I work at a wound center, and that company came in and uh, partnered with the wound center. And they, I just kind of thought I was at the end with my job. I wasn't feeling excited with it. I was, it was stressing me out. I'm like, God, what am I doing next? What is this? So then this company came in, and they said, we want you to be the director we want you to be in charge. We want you to be the head honcho of this wound center. And I went, me? No, me? So I said, oh, God, thank you. This is what I needed. I was going to step into this new role and just be so excited with it. And I saw all these opportunities, and there's more growth ahead available. And then this vaccine mandate came through for Ascension. I went, God, I prayed for this job. <laughs> you gave me this job. I know without a doubt you gave me this job and you put me in this position because I followed your word, and I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. So what the heck? <laughs> so then I put in my, uh, uh, my vaccine exemption, religious exemption letter with Ascension, and it's rejected. Partially my fault. I missed the exemption deadline. I went, oh, my gosh. How could I be this dumb? <laughs> what the heck? Then I find out that every single other religious exemption letter is being projected anyways. And I say, okay, now what? 
So I'm like, well, I don't work for Ascension. Let's, let's go with my other company. My exemption was approved. And I'm able to keep this job that I prayed for and I knew for and I stood for. And I just, I just, I was a mess there for a week. Happiness, craziness, just bawling out of just pure joy because I'm like, I followed this path and I knew. And I can't say I didn't doubt for a second, but I prayed through it. And thanks to my husband, thank you to my friends, and it all worked out. And I'm just so thankful and so blessed that I was given this opportunity. And now that I'm shaking like a leaf standing up here on stage. Wasn't that encouraging? She'll she'll hit me later. <laughs> or she might have Beth beat me up in her place. Yeah. Is there anybody else who wants to share a God story like that where you can confirm the message that I preached today that this truly does work? Okay, I will. Yeah. yeah. Come on up here so they can hear you online. <laughs> okay. So um God told me, he woke me up, he told me somewhere, he said, get up and walk. One day I seen a guy crossing a road, the road, when I was headed to Ramah. And um, it just broke my heart because he was walking on a fake leg, okay? But what made me sad was I started to think about um, unforgiveness and then, you know, like the sacrifice thing and all that kind of junk. And I wouldn't want, like, if you're my family... Okay, this is selfish. People live like they want the best for their family, and strangers ain't not so much. But, you know, like I know things that my family have done, and I would never want anything bad to happen to them, and I would want them to be forgiven. Okay? So I would want everybody in God's family to be forgiven. But going on, so I'm sitting in my room, and God says, get up and walk. Walk. Just walk. And I know this is goofy, but I have my own little times with the Holy Spirit. So I'm walking out, and I walk everything turned to jello with my feet, okay? Everybody told me that I shouldn't listen to, uh, or I'm not a doctor. So guess what I did? I listened to a nurse. A nurse told me that I had athlete's foot. Now, this is not to knock nurses, okay? This is just to say that we all cannot be right all the time. None of us. So... I suffered with this foot situation from a misdiagnosis, okay? But through it all, I was able to sit in my room and think a lot (laughs) and rest a lot. And everything came to jello. Well, so it was hard to get back up again and walk. But something told me to walk one day. And I walked and I turned left. And right there is uh, the... uh, the Presence Church. You know how it says he'll make his face shine on you, right? I, I looked directly behind me is the Presence Church. In front of me is the sun, and it's shining on my face. Across the street is the cross, okay? Now, somebody thought that shopping center out very well, okay? Do you get it? Okay. The cross is dead, I have crossed the road into the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ lives in me, inside of me. So 
sometimes people are really visual people, and I know it's hard to understand when you're young. When you're young, you're, the world has, has its own little sight on everything. But you know how a lot of people, they'll go, come down and praise the Lord, get into my heart, da 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 Well, God's living in your heart when you accept him as your, your Lord and your Savior, A lot of people don't realize that. They act like he's over here, and we have to grab him and take him with us. You know, uh, no. No, it's not that heavy. It's not that heavy, okay? It's like you don't even have to carry a purse. He's right here, okay? Okay. So anyways, going on, I go left, and I'm walking, and I see my family's last name on a sewer drain. Okay, nothing to it. But I'm like, what in the world? You know, this is an adventure. So I walk on the other side because we were talking about making the roads better in Owasso a long time ago. So we walk, and I go the other way. But I don't know if you all have ever uh, played the the game Skippo. I used to play it with my grandpa. (sighs) Okay, my grandpa, I don't recall ever going to church with him or anything, but I feel like he's in my heart. And I feel like he turned his life over to Jesus. How in the world would I know this? I I don't know how I would know that. Well, I see a sign that says center lane only. Okay? What does it say in the Bible? It says don't go to the left, don't go to the right. Keep your foot from evil. Okay? We have separated ourselves through bloods and crips and Democrats and Republicans. All right? We're all off in the grass and the roughage and everything else, just blah, 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 okay? So if we just stay in the center lane, it'll be a smooth ride all the way to where we need to go. I'm just saying. So I'm stopping at the crosswalk, which we used to not have. I push the button, and it says, wait, wait. That's what I tell my dog before I'm crossing the road. I tell her to wait, wait. And I'm sitting here going, what in the world? And there was a guy sitting on a bike, and he goes, he, got, he smiled, and we're sitting there. It's an awkward stare. That's all. So we're like sitting there waiting for the light to turn. And um, he smiled, and I smiled, and he goes, did you push the wrong button? And I said, there's only one. Name above all names, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only button you need to worry about in Jesus' name. Listen to her being an evangelist. Man, you just wait till you step into your calling, Summer. Did you see that gift? Yeah. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, we're sending Summer to Rhema. So you got to understand her, okay? She is, man, she is on fire. And we're not going to douse that fire out. If you try to, I'm going to come up and bust you. Because she's on her, she is on the road, and there's one button to push, Summer. Uh, those of you who don't know, I, I own my own business as well, and it's been, I've actually been uh, my own boss for several years, and it's been ups and downs. I mean, I've, you know, sometimes you make money, sometimes you don't, sometimes you make mistakes, sometimes you do some, do things good. Well, the best thing I've done so far is ask people to pray for me that I start getting jobs that I don't have to work so hard, because I'm getting close to 60, 
I'm getting there. I'm almost, I'm almost 57. I'll be 57 next month. And I really don't want to work as hard. And I've said, and I've told the Lord, I said, Lord, I've got, I've got to slow down. I want to have some fun with my wife because I haven't in years. We've been so busy raising kids and, and business. So he said, okay. And so I've had people praying for me. And Sandy, she's not here. She's been one that has been so diligently praying for us that I start getting the jobs that I can make more money on and don't have to work so hard. Well, it's beginning to happen. And I, and I thank the Lord for it because now I'm starting to pick up commercial jobs that, that aren't, I don't, I don't have to make, you know, two or three hundred dollars and then come home and think, you know, am I going to be able to pay for everything? I, I, you know, cause every once in a while I get that thought. Am I going to be able to pay for everything this month just by making these two or three hundred dollar jobs? Now these jobs are coming in where there are fifty thousand, thirty thousand in one job for two weeks. And I'm not, I'm just sitting there telling you, I'm not bragging, folks. I'm telling you that God's moving in my life, and He can move in anybody's life. And I'm like, Kate, I only have a 12th grade education. I'm not against college, but guys, God can work with a, with a dummy just as well as He can work with somebody smart. <laughs> That's awesome. God wants you to prosper. But you got to do your part. You do. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for teaching us and thank you for correcting us. <laughs> Sometimes you have to say that by faith, right? Thanks for correcting me, God. No. Thank you for showing us your way, your wisdom, your truth. And I ask you today to help us to walk in it that these things that we've heard today just cause a permanent shift in our perspective, that we show up to our job tomorrow differently than we've ever showed up to it before, that we're there to serve. And it's taken all the pressure away, all the negativity away, all those ill feelings we have about our boss and all that, all that stuff, all that. I ask you to just let that fade away. And whenever those thoughts come to our mind and try to get us sidetracked again, that you quicken us very quickly by the Holy Spirit say, remind us, oh, take that thought captive, submit it to the obedience of Christ. And Lord, I ask you to bless every person in this room beyond their wildest imagination. Yes. Equip them, provide for them. And I know it starts with their family, that they have everything that they need, all sufficiency in all things. They don't have to wonder where their house payment's coming from or where the food's coming from or anything like that. They have all sufficiency in all things. And they have an abundance for every good work that when you ask them to do something, they have the provision to do it. Lord, we thank you that it's you that provides all of these things. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 God is good. Well, y'all, this Saturday we have a car clinic coming up where a team here from No Limits will uh, give free car care to single moms, widows, and the elderly. Isn't that cool? I'm not part of that team because I don't work on cars. But we have some guys here that are really good at it. Speaking of, Ben came to my house yesterday because my car had a problem. He came and looked at it. I, I'd been, I spent hours trying to figure out what the problem was the day before, right? Hours. And Ben gets there. He rolls up under the car. He's like, hmm 30 seconds later, oh, there's a screw that came out. <laughs> I mean, it took him a while to get the screw back in, but he diagnosed the problem in less than a minute. I'm like, man, 
this guy is a godsend. Talk about a skill. That's awesome. So we have other guys like that in the church. They're going to be working on these cars. And this is something that we do twice, maybe three times per year. And the only reason it's possible is because of your all's generosity. We don't even have to wonder, like, it's not like we have to do a special collection or something like that to work on these cars. We, we already have what it takes sitting in the account, just ready to do these good deeds. And that's all because of your generosity. So I wanted to thank you for being a generous church. Thank you for being a generous church. You guys truly are. We always have more than enough to accomplish what God asks us to do, and that's because you're faithful to give. So if you're giving today and you're giving by cash or check, we have our ushers on the side. Just raise your hand. They'll bring you an offering envelope. Most of you all give online, and you can do that anytime. You just go to nolimits.fyi, and uh, there's a giving button there. It'll get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us, and a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.